You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. On February 4th, 1736, a young John Wesley set foot on the shores of Georgia. He came there an ordained minister in the Church of England, and he came with high hopes, lofty dreams of mission and ministry and evangelism. He wanted to serve the Christians who were there building the colonies, and he also wanted to reach folks he called the heathen, the natives, with the gospel. Things, however, did not go the way Wesley had hoped. Maybe you've had an experience in life like that yourself. (laughs) Really excited about this. It's going to be great. And then a few weeks later, a few days maybe even, things did not go as planned. That's what life was like for Wesley in Georgia. While he was there, to illustrate, uh, Wesley met a girl. Her name was Sophie. And he proposed marriage to Sophie, but later ended the engagement. And she didn't wait around for John. She married someone else. Wesley, as a result, refused to give her communion. (laughs) You can see how uh, he needed a little wisdom in his older age, or as he grew, maybe a little little work there for Wesley. Turns out Sophie was related to the chief magistrate in the area, and the chief magistrate charged Wesley with defaming her character, Sophie's character. So Wesley ended up having to flee Georgia and the colonial judicial system under the cover of darkness on a ship. So things didn't go as Wesley had planned. All was not lost for him in Georgia, though. He had a certain formative experience that was arguably essential to the later Wesleyan revival, indeed to the very fact that we are here worshiping as Wesleyan Methodist people some 250, 300 years later. One of those experiences came for Wesley when he met a pastor in the Moravian denomination, a group of German Christians. The fellow's name was Spangenberg, And Wesley was so impressed with what he saw in the Moravian community that he sought out Spangenberg for advice and counsel. Spangenberg, however, didn't begin with advice. Probably wise there as a pastor. Instead, he began asking questions. And he asked Wesley two questions that pierced his soul and revealed the inconsistency in his life first question was this. Spangenberg asked, do you have the witness within yourself? Have you the witness within yourself? Second question, does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Spangenberg had been reading Romans 8 recently, apparently. Have you the witness within yourself, the testimony of the Spirit? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? And Wesley Respond, he didn't know how to answer the question. And so Spangenberg continued to probe and ask more questions. Do you know Jesus Christ? 
And you may think, I mean, here's what he's a preacher, he's ordained, he's a missionary, traveled all the way across the Atlantic, and this guy has the audacity to ask him, Do you know Jesus? Wesley responded, I know he's the Savior of the world. That's a great theological answer, isn't it? Anytime things get really personal, sometimes we just want to get theological and abstract. And Spangenberg picks up on that and he continues to press. He says, but do you know, Wesley, do you know he has saved you? He may be the Savior of the world, but do you know he has saved you? And Wesley responded weakly, I hope. You hear that? I hope he died to save me. The Moravian pastor came gently to the point and asked again, Do you know yourself? Do you know? Do you know that you know? And Wesley responded, I do. But he later wrote in his journal that they were vain words. Ever been in a place like that? I think Wesley's experience is far more common than most of us are willing to admit. So many, so many people struggle to believe that God can love them. Now, you'd never admit it on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but on a Tuesday afternoon or a Thursday morning, when life isn't what you expected, when things haven't gone as planned, when you find guilt and shame arising, sometimes it's hard to believe that God can love us. After all, if we don't love ourselves, how could God love us? Does He really love me? Does God really accept me? Look at all the things I've done. Look at all the people I've hurt. Look at the damage I've caused. How can God love someone like that? Those questions are far more common than anyone usually admits. Has Jesus died for me? I hope so, we say with Wesley. How can I be sure? The good news is that the God revealed in Scripture understands the problem. And he has addressed it. We just read together Romans chapter 8, or a significant part of Romans chapter 8. Verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, right? That's what that anxiety, that it's fear. How can I really be sure? How can I really know? How can I really be confident of God's love? Look at my past. We didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you have received a spirit of adoption. What a lovely word. For those who were once far from God but have been brought near, once were estranged but have now been made children, you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit of God bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This summer we're talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Today we come to the work of the Spirit to assure the children of God that God does indeed love us. That's the bottom line for Paul. Bottom line for Wesley. 
Bottom line for us, the Spirit assures us of God's love for us. His unfailing, His perfect, His glorious, His holy love. The Holy Spirit assures us of God's love for us. It's the work of the Spirit, and so we talk about it in different ways. Spangenberg asked Wesley, do you have the testimony of the Spirit? Do you have assurance? In all those terms, kind of fancy theology terms, right? They're all synonyms, kind of interchangeable. So we're going to talk about the doctrine of assurance. We're going to talk about the testimony of the Spirit. But all of those terms get at the same reality. Here's the way Wesley described it. He said, the testimony of the Spirit thing we hear described in Romans 8. The testimony of the Spirit is an inward impression. It's this thing that happens in me. The testimony of the Spirit is an inward impression on the soul, whereby the Spirit of God directly witnesses to my spirit that I am a child of God, that Jesus Christ hath loved me and given Himself for me, and that all my sins are blotted out, and I Even I, with all the things I've done, with all the guilt I carry, with all the shame I have, even I am reconciled to God. The Spirit assures us of the Father's love for us. And He does that through this testimony, this direct, personal, individual testimony. Now we need to understand, friends, that this assurance is a gift. It's absolute, like there is nothing you or I can do to kind of work one over on God in this instance and get Him to give us this thing called a sure. Like, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to do lots of good things and I'm going to try to compensate for all my mistakes so I can really be sure that God loves me. We treat it that way sometimes, don't we? I mean, that's kind of maybe our default position. We've done some things we're ashamed of, so we need to do some good things to make, you know, throw a little extra money in or maybe serve a little, you know. Take out the trash after the worship service. But there's nothing we can do that means God owes us anything. God doesn't owe any of us anything except hell. (laughs) We can't twist His arm and get Him to give us an assurance of His love. It's just a gift. It's pure, absolute, unmerited gift. And God does it part of His grace to us. And we receive it as we trust Him. This comes up in the opening verses of Romans 8. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? No guilt remains. No shame to be carried. No condemnation for those in Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. Right? The law has no power to save. You can obey the Ten Commandments all day long. God doesn't know you anything. They don't have the power to deal with my problems. They can definitely tell me when I have problems. <laughs> right? The commandments come with a big magnifying glass saying, Hey, O'Reilly, look at your covetousness. But they can't fix They can't cleanse my covetousness. The law, the commandment is good, but it's a problem identifier, not a problem solver. 
So if the problem's going to get solved, God's got to do something about it. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus coming in, human, in a human body, in our likeness, not in sinful flesh, right? Jesus is not a sinner. He was tempted. He was in every way, but He was without sin. He comes in the likeness of our sinful flesh, but He's perfect and pure in every way, righteous. And He offers Himself in our place so that sin can be condemned in His body, in His flesh. So that the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us. Right? All through that, again and again and again, God does the work through Jesus. Like There's nothing I can do to reconcile myself to God. Jesus does it all. That's why we call it grace. Grace is just another word for gift. Today is Ty's birthday. You can tell him happy birthday after the service. Um, if I were to come to Ty, Ty, I don't have a gift for you today, but if I did, this is it, calling you out in the middle of the service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I did come to you with a gift and say, Ty, here's a gift, happy birthday, right? I've saved a little extra, I've worked really hard, and I just picked out this special thing, I've wrapped it up, and I'm just, I want you to have it. Now, if Ty came along and said, wow, this is great, I really deserve this, you know? I mean, I've been a good worship leader, and uh, O'Reilly really owes me something, and I'm just, this is, this is, I've done such a good job for this gift. What would you say about it? You'd be like, you scoundrel, right? That's How ungrateful can you be? You didn't earn a gift. You didn't earn anything. It's just a gift. Right now, you, to experience the benefits of the gift, you have to receive it. Right? But receiving it doesn't mean you've earned it. doesn't mean you've deserved it. doesn't mean you've merited it. Right? Jesus gives us the gift of His gracious love, His perfect love, His self-giving love. He reconciles us to Himself, to His Father. And it's all gift. And that's why we can have assurance. But because His love doesn't depend on me, in my performance. Jesus' love does not depend on your performance. Jesus' grace does not depend on whether you are having a good or bad day. It depends on His cross. And that is finished. It is done. It is perfect. And there's nothing we can do to add to it. Assurance of His love for us is a gift because it doesn't depend on our ability, our reputation, our rap sheet, or any of it. It just depends on His perfect love. So never, this number one, when we're talking about being sure of God's love for us, remember, it doesn't depend on me and what I've done. It depends on Jesus and what He's done. And I can't change that. It's done. Assurance is a gift, and it depends on the objective, perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how is this gift received? That's the next question. Assurance is the gift of God to His children. How do we receive it? And Wesley 
in Romans 8 found a couple of different, two different ways. One of them is objective and external to us. Now, that may sound kind of technical, but here's what we mean. Right? The Bible gives us a framework for measuring uh, how much fruit of the Spirit is showing up in our lives, right? So, all through Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the righteousness of the law being fulfilled in us. He talks about how those who, whose minds are set on the flesh cannot please God. He talks about if you live, verse 13, according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the Spirit is there to enable you to put to death the works of the flesh, you'll live. Right, so there's this objective standard, isn't there? There's a measure. Like God has defined for us what He wants the Christian life to look like. It is a life that embodies the love of Jesus. A life that uh, is true and pure and holy. It's a life that, that embodies this, this love for God and love for others. All the way consistently. Right? And if the Spirit of God dwells in us, we ought to be able to say, well, you know what? You know, I can see growth. And the people around me will say, I see the growth. You know, maybe there was a time where my temper just was like that and it was short-fused and it was over. And maybe now the Holy Spirit's working in me for 10 or 15 or 20 years. <laughs> maybe that fuse is longer than it used to be. And the people around me say, you know what? The Lord must be doing something. In this. Let's, there's evidence. It's objective. We can see it. Wesley called this the external witness of the Spirit. Right? It's, it's, not, it's outside of us. There is a standard. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. Fruit of the Spirit is measurable stuff. Am I more generous than I used to be? Is my life more characterized by joy than it used to be? Right? And if it is, that tells me, even when I'm thinking, you know what? I don't know. I'm not sure where I stand with God. Well, you know what? When I look at your life, I can see fruit. It looks like the Holy Spirit is at work. So Wesley called that, and we see it in Romans 8 a few places, this external witness of the Spirit. It's objective. Like you, just, you read in the Bible. It's outside of us. There's a standard. He, uh, Paul explains this in this contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. We run into this commonly. We talk about it commonly, but it's worth, it's in the text, so it's worth reflecting on for a moment. When Paul talks about the distinction between the flesh and the Spirit, he's talking about two modes of life, two character, uh, characters of life. When he talks about the flesh, that's the default position of everyone who comes into the world. And he's not talking about our skin or our physicality. He's talking about this principle whereby we are consumed with ourselves and not consumed with God. <laughs> right? uh, and we've all been there. Right? Everyone comes into the world consumed with themselves and not consumed with God. We are bent, as Charles Wesley put in one of his hymns, towards sinning. It's our natural inclination. We don't naturally love God. And that Paul's word for that whole thing is flesh. So what Paul says, look, if that's where you are, that's the path to death. 
And that's objective. Like we, there's diagnostics for this. <laughs> Jesus takes us from that place, flesh, opposition to God, estrangement from God. He reconciles us through His blood to the Father, and Paul calls that life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up moves us from that place of opposition so that we can become consumed with God and not consumed with ourselves. So that we can become consumed with embodying the character of the one who bought us with his blood. And not consumed with me and my way no matter what. It's pretty, pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's pretty clear. <laughs> you know, do I care more about me? Or do I care more about Jesus? There's the diagnostic. We can find out where are we walking. Scripture is very clear on what those things look like. That's external to us. It's objective. It's mediated through Scripture. We can read it in a book. Here's what the Spirit-filled life looks like. Here's what the life according to the flesh looks like. One is self-oriented malice, anger, the other one is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, and the others. That's not enough, though. Wesley also saw in Romans chapter 8 what he called the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. And this shows up in the passage we've read a couple of times, 8, 14 through 17. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, whereas we've got the Bible external to us with a list of standards that we can measure ourselves against, that's not all we have. We also have the Holy Spirit who shows up intimately, personally, and directly inside. So one is outside. The Bible is outside of us. It has a list of, a list of standards. The Spirit testifies inside of us and speaks to our hearts and warms our hearts, and says, yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, the Lord is with you. God's Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. When we were in Guatemala earlier this summer, uh, one of the house dads, the Casa Bernabe, uh, is, there's nine houses, I think, and uh, 10 to 12 or 13 kids live in each house with a mom and a dad. Uh, that's kind of how the orphanage is set up. So it's not dorms. Kids are in a family set. And one of the dads sought me out and uh, said that he was, he, the Holy Spirit was leading him to pray for me, which is an incredible experience in and of itself. Uh, but he, he said, he probably perceived that leading mission trips carries a, a, a weightiness to it. And he just wanted to say that in all of the things, with all of those challenges and burdens and weightiness, the Holy Spirit wants you to know that he loves you. And in that moment, he prayed for me in Spanish. I have no idea what he really said. But it was very clear to me that the Spirit of God was at work. That inward impression on my soul. From God's own Spirit, you are my child, I love you. You don't have to understand the prayer to know what that inward impression feels like. 
Because the Spirit speaks with utterances that are deeper than words. That's what we mean when we talk about the internal witness of the Spirit. That's what Spangenberg was getting at when he asked Wesley, do you have the testimony within yourself? Does the Spirit of God testify with your spirit that you are His child? The Spirit assures us of God's love for us. Have you felt that experience? Because the object of standard by itself isn't enough. It's important, but it's not enough. In fact, if you take one of these standards, the external objective list of things by itself, there's a danger there. If you take the experience by itself without the standard, there's a danger there too. Wesley came with two warnings based on these two aspects of the witness of the Spirit. The witness, the Spirit witnesses to us through Scripture. The Spirit witnesses directly with our hearts. But He also wanted to say to us, don't focus on the experience and forget about the fruit. Maybe you've met somebody like this, right? These are the kind of people who uh, <coughs> say they love Jesus and live like hell. I've had an experience. I went down the aisle when I was 15 and I got saved. And you look at their lives and you think, where is the evidence that Jesus is involved at all? You know somebody like that. Don't look around. Right? If we just sort of put all of our energy into the experience and we don't spend time thinking about, you know, is, is there a place in my life? You know, when I'm at work, do my colleagues really see joy and faithfulness in my life? Because I can talk a lot about that experience, but if there's not some real patience showing up in my life, then I need to have some questions about the validity of the experience. Right? Wesley wants to say, look, don't focus so much on the experience that you forget about the standards, the fruit of the Spirit. And at the same time, warning number two, don't focus exclusively on the fruit and forget about the experience because that makes legalists. Right? Well, I did that. Well, I did this. I showed some generosity today. I was patient with that guy. I did what I needed to do. Right? Tick the box. Tick the box. Tick. If that's where we are, we've lost the point, haven't we? And God's not interested in our lists. He's not interested in you know, our progress. Here's my progress report. Look how, what a great job I'm doing. It takes both. I need the witness of the Spirit. Yes, I love you. You're mine. And that witness needs to bear fruit. More joy. More love. More patience. More generosity. And all the rest. The Spirit assures us of God's love for us, and that assurance manifests itself in changed lives. When John Wesley returned from Georgia, he was quite dejected. He felt like a failure, and he was uncertain of his standing before God. He'd striven to know that God loved him, but instead... He had no assurance at all. He longed for that personal experience, that inner witness of the Spirit that he'd heard other people talk about, but he'd never experienced in himself. 
And then on May 25th, 1738, something happened to Wesley, and I want you to hear, I want you to hear it in his own words. This is what he wrote in his journal. He wrote, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. <laughs> God ever show up when you are unwilling for him to show up? Where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while the leader was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And then he said this, An assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That night, in that moment, in that place, Wesley experienced the inward testimony of the Spirit for the first time. And the Spirit of God assured Wesley of God's love for him. My question is, do you have the witness of the Spirit. Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are His child? You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.